Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. In healthier times, we talk about our selections for our weekly dinner and a movie series at the Bourbon Barrel here in Erie, Pennsylvania. And we also interview regional artists, filmmakers, and creative entrepreneurs because Erie has a place in the film industry and we tell those stories on our podcast. Today we're coming to you in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, each of us recording at home safely. Plenty of social distance between us. In our current format, we'll discuss industry news and help alleviate your boredom with our film and television recommendations. So I'm excited to invite you, our listeners, to participate. Give your feedback on what we're doing. I know you all have opinions, so let's get started. My name is Erica Berlin. I'm the Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming for the Film Society. I'm Stuart Nash, Cinematographer Guild member and Director of the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Jesse Olszewski, Filmmaker and Project Coordinator at the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Mike Berlin, and I'm Erica Berlin's husband. This week, we'll share an example of filmmaking under quarantine, talk about the motion picture industry's plan of action in response to COVID-19, and share thoughts on Dumplin', available on Netflix, in the first three episodes of The Story of Film and Odyssey, which is on Hulu. How is everyone doing this week? Well, as you guys all know, I'm moving on to my boat eventually, and that's all been put on hold. But we were supposed to close on our house April 1st, and now we just did our COVID addendum. So now we have an additional 30 days. So they're still selling the house, packing all the stuff away, and just waiting in quarantine, which is pretty sad. <laughs> How about you guys? Waiting in that big empty house? Yeah, it is empty. What about you, man? Uh, looking for work, watching good content me and the cat i am getting down to Presque Isle and rollerblading on the on the sunnier days it's still open right it is and actually uh sunday we had some nicer weather it it was actually pretty packed down there especially the first couple beaches people everywhere biking walking dogs big families i think everyone's been itching to get out not social distancing yeah spreading covid I, I said to Mike the other day, we went for a walk on Presque Isle. We went on the side that has the big wide road so that people can stay away from each other. And the pathway is wide enough and there's less people over there. So we were walking on a certain path. And of course, Mike and I go single file when we see people coming toward us. And this couple walking toward us, they did not go single file. I was really offended. <laughs> like, you can just take up a majority of the path next to each other meanwhile we're going single file that is not social distancing but you're on rollerblades and you're going like <laughs> 20 miles an hour and you have to slow down and stop because they they don't single file that's so rude it's not good etiquette in general but in a global pandemic i'm sorry it's it's almost aggressive I'm taking up two spaces. I'm going to breathe directly in your, in your face when you walk by. 
I'm surprised the peninsula is still open because a lot of places that I've talked to friends uh, all over the U.S. they're closing all parks, no matter how. Well, big they are. all of their water fountains have bags over them, and all of their bathrooms are. I did locked. notice. The fa- yeah, the facilities yeah. are all locked, and all of their pavilions are closed. Anything that was scheduled for events is closed. It, it's basically you can just access the trails, the paths. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the boat launch, but yeah. not the marina part and today i heard that sarah's sarah's the presque isle erie institution they they usually open on the first of april they're opening on the 15th so definitely i would say more people are going to be heading down to presque isle going through the drive through at sarah's taking their you know it's takeout only drive drive through only i think but still i don't know if that's really going to help us uh stop the spread but you know i'm not an epidemiologist i don't i don't know um what about you john lyons what have you been up to working super (laughs) (laughs) sounds exciting okay okay yes people still have to work so i know john you're working mike you're working it's adjusting to working from home i mean how's that been going john it's actually fine. No problem at all. And getting a lot done. Okay. No tech issues, right? Plenty of tech issues. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know that John, John helps people with their tech problems. I think you've got a friend who listens to our podcast, who's a filmmaker. Yeah, Melissa, she's, she's not a filmmaker, but she's in the arts world. She actually, um, she listens to us from France one of our listeners outside of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And she sent to me something I thought was kind of cool. Um, There's a group of filmmaking friends under quarantine um, who made a short film together. And basically they set up um, kind of these rules for themselves. Uh, One of their characters had to be an eternal optimist. It had to feature an object that was a weird ladle and it had to have a certain sentence in the script. And basically, um, you know, with a basic location in this situation, it was a group of people sitting around a table lit by candlelight uh, with a Ouija board. You know, they could all shoot it at their own place and you didn't know that they were at different locations and edit it all together. Um, I thought it was cute and creative. It's in French, so I have no idea what anybody's saying, but. Um, I thought maybe it would inspire some filmmakers in Erie to um, come up with ways to keep working and create in this madness. And That's really way. clever. So yeah. wait, just so I understand, that? they they tried to light their own houses similarly to edit it all together to be like one room? Well, you it's have to watch. Single, yeah. yeah, it's a single light source, which is just a lit candle on yeah. a table. Which if we should set out a challenge. Oh, I would be down. <laughs> More work for us. I'm itching. I'm itching the shoot. That kind of reminds me of like those 24-hour uh, film challenges that yeah, they yeah. do, except under quarantine. Right. Because we're, we'll watch. We'll post the link. We'll post the link in the notes. But take a look at it because it's pretty interesting. And John, the, matter of fact, it didn't even occur to me that like, yeah, they all shot their own footage. And then like, I'm like, wow, how'd these guys all get together and do this? <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool if you if you come up with the right um, kind of yeah. setting. It's very um, simple in nature, but yeah. yeah. And of course, yeah, I don't understand a word they're saying, but 
I've been really impressed with, in general, the different creative challenges that have come out of this pandemic. You have museums saying, hey, with what you have at home, recreate, you know, famous iconic paintings and things like that. It's been really cool. I mean, of course, Facebook is full of this stuff and it, it comes right to you. But I think it's a good point. You know, if anyone that listens is out there doing some creative challenge on your own and you want to share something with us, please send it to us, share it, you know, share it. We'll, we'll share it with our audience. I mean, there's all kinds of cool things happening. So if you're in the arts and you've got a, an interesting project you want to share with us, send it over. We'll take a look. We'll judge you. <laughs> well, I want to talk about the motion picture industry's plan of action in response to COVID-19, but I also want to discuss real quick. Last week, we had talked about how, uh, what do you think is going to happen to uh, theater chains uh, because of COVID? And there was just recently an article that I was reading, and it was talking about the closure of the major chains and what are the key factors that are going to play into uh, COVID and the outbreak. And so, as far as we as we know, all theaters have been shut down due to the outbreak, and this shutdown now has the effect with the distributor with the studios because normally there's about a uh, three month window in which they go from a theatrical release to streaming releases. And as we saw and discussed last week, this has already been shortened to uh, same-day releases in the theaters. We saw, what was it, uh, Invisible Man, and then I forgot, you guys, I think, named it off a few other ones. You know, the, the leverage that the movie theaters are going to have with the studios is going to completely change based on the consumer's behaviors and what's going to happen when theaters open again. According to what I read already they're pushing back dates on, and I know these aren't like movies that I'm a big fan of, but you know, these are obviously part of the people in the industry, which, you know, you got to remember because of COVID, Hollywood is shut down. I mean, everyone's doing the same exact thing right now that we're doing, and that's sitting at home streaming things and watching things, but not working whatsoever. Um, so basically, let's see here, they've totally pushed back the launch of Mulan, uh, the new Avengers film, Black Widow's been pushed back. Uh, Fast and Furious, the sequel, F9, nine Fast and Furious. That's been pushed back by a whole year. Uh, and the next James Bond movie, the time, No Time to Die, is going to be pushed back until the fall. So, you know, I mean, this is kind of what's happening already since we've talked about, um, uh, you know, our little discussion last week. But another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the motion picture industry, otherwise known as MPI, and what they have done in the last week, what has transpired um, as far as Congress passing the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Securities Act, which is also known as the CARES Act. And uh, I think this is a good start. It's supposed to be a $2 trillion act uh, that's been signed by the president, which helps all sorts of people in all sorts of industries, specifically those in the entertainment world, are being helped. Uh, through extended unemployment benefits, additional monies will be ha uh, handed out because of the pandemic, um, additional extensions for unemployment, I was just saying, uh, taxes, as we all know, have been extended, uh, head of households, or everyone's going to get $1,200 a piece just starting, and then, you know, that number goes up depending on the amount of dependents and what have you. Um, so a lot of things are happening right now, which is good, but these are all just kind of Band-Aid things as far as I'm, you know, my opinion, and I was kind well, of... Well, yeah, I mean, do. Yeah, I'm curious because I think one of the important things in what you're talking about here is in knowing, you know, you and, and other people that work in the film industry, I mean, that's a gig economy, right? 
a lot of people who work in the film industry are working and then they're not and then they're working and they're they're not they're working project to project not so much i work full time for this production you know company and i'm always gainfully employed you know 365 days a year so so how does this affect you know people who work in film and what's that like for someone like you you know you work in film and you it's a gig work so what what does that mean here Basically means shutdown. I mean, we're already competing, you know, for the work. And, you know, the outlook was good prior to COVID because, you know, there was just such a high demand for content and work was all over the place in major, you know, production hubs. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea really, honestly. That's what's so scary about it. Um, Stu, I've been keeping I tabs. I'm gonna ask you, Mike. Yeah. You do have a full-time job in the industry. But you're not working. Uh, well, I am actually. I am, uh, okay. and uh, so I, there was a lot of backlog work that I was. I've been getting caught up on. On top of it, it's just like I'm VPNing and I have like remote desktop access. I guess nobody's creating media per se. And actually, and I take sure. that back. Let me just. Well, here, that's go ahead. Finish. That's not entirely true. Right. Uh, it isn't entirely true. Right. Uh, so you've got a lot of. So it's been an interesting sort of chapter so far professionally because it's like I'm getting caught up to a lot of what's happening now <laughs> you guys know how much I love social media but uh, like the different ways of sort of being able to record uh, social media and how to sort of uh, pull the highest resolution uh, out of that video uh, so that that's happening I mean I think one of the it, it, it's gonna be nobody knows where the chips are gonna land right now and obviously do you can speak better to this too on some level but it's just like I do think one of the concern or disconcerting things is at some point the business side is going to probably kick in and I would not be surprised if a lot of these shows and movies get kicked down the road to 2021 oh for sure but that means you know more people they already are unemployment uh, applications have skyrocketed you know yeah. Now, one thing I can say, I'm just going to throw this in there real quick. Uh, there is a good outlook for animators. Animation production is still going strong despite uh, coronavirus. Um, yeah. According to the New York Post, Hollywood production is not halted. You know, The Simpsons is still producing. Bob's Burgers is still producing. And if you're a voiceover actor, you're still working. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we have uh, voiceover actors that we use for just like commercials and stuff like that at work. And we can't book them right now because they are – they are in hot, high demand. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah. And you see, and I'm only doing some preliminary research here and, you know, only limited by my contacts, but that's good to know. I mean, at least somebody's working, it seems like. Yes. More frames. <laughs> right. Right. That's exactly who I thought of when I was, when I was reading the article. I was like, oh, well, it's probably, they're probably still working. I mean, you know. Which is great, by the way. That, I mean, work. That, there is like there's some good stuff that should come out of this, but uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting time. Yes, it is. <laughs> Jess, say the least. How, how are you doing for work? Uh, <laughs> I'm getting by, I suppose. Um, I actually transitioned into full time freelance right before all this happened, and the work was it was actually pretty good. I was averaging one to two gigs a week. Um, but that all dried up and other filmmakers and crew workers, I know it's kind of the same thing across the board. And I've been keeping tabs on posts from people. And, and like Erica said, everyone's trying to be creative, even in, in light of all this. Um, like I have a, a sound recordist friend who's saying like, now's the time to do your post audio and I can help you with that. Things like that. How can you work from home? How can we still uh, make ends meet? It's definitely challenging. 
but it's kind of fun in a way. Do you find that having mental space of not, you know, having the pressure to be at work, I hate to say it that way, but do you find that you're thinking about things in a different way? Do you feel more creative? Are you getting new ideas because you have space, because you have mental space, or is the stress, like the pandemic stress, just overtaking your life? Uh, right now, it is kind of stressful just because I, I really don't know where the next job's coming from. And that's yeah. something they, they always say right off the bat, you know, if you go into freelance, you know, your work is not guaranteed and you don't know if you're going to actually uh, have a job this week and this month. And this is one of those situations where yeah. it, it, there is no work this week or this month. Yeah. So, yeah. but creative wise, when I do set time aside, yes, I think definitely being in this, being on this side of the line, you definitely can focus more on, on some of those creative things, which is nice. I can say personally, I've been really struggling, uh, Creatively, I've wanted to every morning wake up and write. Um, and when I lay down to sleep every night, I have a bunch of ideas and I'm really excited to get up in the morning and start to write. But then when I sit down at the computer and I'm getting alerts from the New York Times and everything else, it's, so far it's like sucked my creative energy and I just can't do it right now. Yeah. So that's frustrating. So I've been doing a lot of like busy work related to the movie and stuff that doesn't really require creativity, just time and just buckling down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a combination of both, you know, sure. paranoia and the trying to get work done, mm -hmm. which I did speak to Jason McCann, who if our listeners don't know who he is, he's a key grip who works out in Los Angeles um, on many uh, uh, union productions. Um, and he is back in uh, his hometown of Edinburgh. Um, so he's uh, quarantined down there. But he told me that uh, most of the productions had taken care of their employees with about a two-week uh, courtesy payout. Um, but after that, you know, uh, he said he's a good saver. Uh, but a lot of people live paid to check to paycheck. And so, you know, these stimulus acts that are going through are hopefully will help some people. Hopefully. So. Any final thoughts on that or anything, uh, anybody know any other information that's out there? Because I can tell also our listeners that, and I'm sure they know this, if, if they're in the union already because they're getting tons of emails from their locals, but there's a lot of assistance out there. I mean, as we know, uh, let me just pull up one other thing here. Um, Governor Wolf just extended the quarantine till the end of April, April 30th now. Uh, U.S. federal taxes aren't due now until July, I believe. And uh, there's just been extensions and cancellations out the yin-yang. So um, I'm sure if anybody has questions, they're all out there. And uh, of course, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, I'm sure we could help you if it's film related or whatever. Well, echoing what Stu said about some of the blockbusters being able to go right to streaming services. Um, there have been some uh, exciting kinds of bumps for some of the art house style movies. Uh, really quick though, we, we did find out that China had opened 500 theaters in remote provinces. This was about a week ago and they were, yeah, they, they really went for it. They, they couldn't show new films, so they were showing like classics and movies everyone loved. 
but then they what? shut down five days later. So it did not last. I'm Prob- sorry. Wait probably for the Wait. best. They opened theaters. I don't think that's a good business model. I don't think that's a good idea. In the middle of a pandemic, I don't care about the news coming out of China that their cases aren't really going up. And I, I'm sorry, but theaters need to be closed right now. People need to stay home. If you want to watch a classic, watch it at home. Sure. Do your part. I would say stimulate the economy by like buying something online. I mean, a theater. You're not driving around buying gas. You're buying less food if you ask me personally, but I don't know. Just think of how many people you can fit in a theater. What, hundreds of people? 200? Exactly. They'd have, to, they'd have to rope off so you could only sit every third chair. Right. Uh, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's elbow to elbow at a full screening. Right. I do think movie theaters are going to be big losers in all of this and stuff. Like that. Because, yeah, because I think, I mean, Erica and I actually, uh, we did the, uh, the purchase of The Invisible Man. And uh, when those numbers start coming out, it's you're going to start seeing the power of the home entertainment system just how that can reach such a mass amount of audience because they can they're going to be able to afford to uh rent that movie for 24 hours for like 20 bucks pop well and also the more that people have this in their minds i mean this is a this is a generational this is a lifetime before covid after covid kind of time period right now so what does that mean? I mean, not for me, when I think into the future, I think, okay, well, definitely washing hands more often. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I think John Lyons is a really good example of someone who washes his hands a lot. Um, so the hand washing, but still, like, if you had the choice to go sit in a crowded theater at an opening next to someone who a year ago could have been in quarantine because they were recovering from COVID-19. I don't know. Are you willing to roll the dice? I mean, for the next few years, we might be living with that mindset. So I think that people who are making entertainment systems, television, sound systems, you know, that's where, I mean, where people want to spend their money. I want to get comfortable at home. I want to know my space is clean. I want to know the people that are with me. Do not have, you know, a contagious virus that won't have a vaccine for another year. Dude, that is already my mindset. And this is what I was trying to say about last week. And I hate to say it, but growing up being a 10-year-old sitting in a theater all day on a summer watching like three back-to-back movies at the Westbury Plaza. I mean, that, that's, that was the thrill. That was the whole reason why I got into this. And now it's gone. It's like, mm. never, it's, it's such a, I never thought that would be a generational thing. I like going out and going out in public. I mean, I guys, do, we're, ta- we're doing right this now. podcast because of film grade. Because of our because of our dinner and a movie program, because we wanted to talk about movies on a podcast so that we could show them in public at and eat and drink and socialize and have an experience around it. I mean, Stu, I'm with you. Like, I love being out. I love being with people um, and, and experiencing the art together. So 
Yeah, I don't know. What's I, I really can't speak for everybody, but I know that I wouldn't be rolling the dice with a bunch of strangers I'm six months from now. I'm already going into a public theater and having somebody have his phone as a flashlight, you know, checking it every <laughs> seconds, or bringing their kid into an R-rated movie with about that ad nausea. So yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be thinking, oh my God, everybody I touch from now on, I'm not going to shake anybody's hands from here on out. I'm done. Oh, I don't know. Shaking hands just seems like such a bad idea, but... Mm. But, you know, once in a few years, once we have a vaccine, once it's something that is um, kind of more predictable, more understood, right. more treatable, you know, it'll change. But at least for the next few years until the world gets its mind wrapped around this thing, you know, it's going to be a different ball game. And yeah, like Mike said, I mean, we brought it up last week, too, like, we 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 sat there and we're like 20 bucks huh to rent well hey we would spend that if we were going out for the evening so let's just rent it you know and that's a new thing spending 20 dollars to rent something i mean let's let's rewind guys like 10 15 20 30 years like would you ever spend that much money renting a movie if you walked into blockbuster if you walked into your local you know, video rental place, you'd be like, well, not to brag, $2. but I'm going to be a gold card member at Blockbuster. <laughs> so, yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> but you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And anyway, it's just, I'm fascinated. It's going to be a really interesting time. But well, I just read something the other day that basically said, you know, at the end of this, we're going to realize what we really need in life. You know, we're all going to know what do we really need. And it's not necessarily um to see the new you know avengers movie when it comes out in the theaters the day it comes out we don't need that we'll be simplifying and that's okay it's actually okay to roll back reset our minds and go what do we really need in life who are the people we care about what are the things that we need and go from there but i think that the the industry itself high quality well-made films and content will will stand the test of time I think that's a beautiful sentiment that I don't know if I completely agree with, but it is a beautiful <laughs> sentiment. <laughs> Spoken yeah, I, think the I think the economics of paying $20 a movie um, is not a reality for a lot of people and will become well, I agree with less, that. less of a reality in two weeks and yep. three weeks. So we'll see how it goes. But I think... Um, the chains are going to have to get inventive like the art houses have if they're going to survive on the other side. But we'll see. Jesse, what are some of the art houses doing now? So this week, Specialized Distributors, they partnered with some art house theaters and they um, essentially did what the streaming services are did and they presented some titles in virtual screening rooms. And the first three films were Kino Lober's Baccarat, uh, Zeitgeist, Sorry We Missed You, and Film Movements, Vidalina, Valeri. Don't know what the turnout on those are yet, and we can stay tuned and see if, if that, that experiment worked and people are, are willing to seek out those more independent art house style films. And I'll just jump in and say, um, since we program, obviously, at the Film Society, I was just today contacted by a distributor, and they asked if we would be interested um, in discussing some of these virtual theatrical screenings. So cool. we will see what the logistics are and maybe um, next week. 
share how that works and how it's going. I think exciting. that's an exciting proposal, actually. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, very cool. I wonder what our film grain patrons would think of that. We can morph our one film, one series discussion into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, maybe we can talk to some local partners that we're already thinking about talking to about virtual programming. So yeah, it's a really cool opportunity. We are doing our one series, one, uh, one film recommendation for the week. If anything, spending time on social media right now, you see people either talking incessantly about a particular topic right now. The big, the big thing right now is Tiger King, right? Everyone's talking about Tiger King. It seems to be the content sent from above to keep everyone's mind off of COVID-19 um, because it's so crazy. And, and that's wonderful. It's awesome. I think everybody will have seen it by the end of this, uh, whenever that's going to be. But um, we, are, we are kind of collectively coming together and saying, well, what are the things that we individually are interested in? the things that have sparked our interest, and we're passing it on to each other to say, hey, watch this. So um, last week we did the series Devs on Hulu, and that went over really, really well. Um, we also watched the movie Candyman, thanks, Jesse. That was also really exciting. We had a great discussion. If you didn't hear it, check out our last podcast. Thanks, um, Jesse. So <laughs> thanks, Jesse. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this week, you know, we have we have another movie and another series, and um, I got to pick this week's movie. Um, I got a little bit of um, guff from my husband on this pick, but I don't care. I loved it. Uh, so my my pick, my film this week is streaming on Netflix. It's called Dumplin'. It is a movie about a wonderfully large girl, teen, teenager named Willa Dean, and uh, her mother calls her Dumplin', which is where the name of the movie comes from. I saw the trailer. I got so excited. It had wonderful Dolly Parton music in it. It looked very uplifting, lots of fun, and honestly, the movie delivers exactly what you want it to. Uh, it is it is a beautiful story, um, totally body positive, family, female friendship and, and family relationships. Um, it's got the woman who stars in this film, her name is Danielle McDonald. Um, she's an Australian actress. She's been in Bird Box, Lady Bird, unbelievable on Netflix. Um, she started in a movie called Patty Cakes, which was... Um, I think a Sundance 2017 pick, really, really exceptional um, independent film, and produced by Jennifer Aniston. She plays Willadine's mother, a former pageant queen, and Willadine basically decides that in honor of her, her departed aunt who she loved, she's going to do the pageant in protest, and uh, she gets some other um, unlikely pageant contestants involved. And it's just awesome. You know, it has a gender neutral character in it. Um, and another, you know, um, bigger, bigger young woman, um, really about finding yourself where you are, accepting yourself and the larger community around you kind of opening up and going, yeah, right. Like we love you, but it happens in this movie because of a drag show. <laughs> um, the drag show kind of is the turning Turning the corner, the Dolly Parton drag show. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, everyone has watched this movie. I'm going to sit back and listen to all of your thoughts. 
Okay, so uh, yeah, Danielle McDonald, I thought she was great. As Erica mentioned, she starred in Patty Cakes, which was um, a debut role, and it was a film um, that we showed at Film Grain, should yep. be mentioned. Um, I think it's interesting how uh, she's just the next in a line of these Australian actors um, who do a fantastic, like, these American accents like in patty cakes she was a new jersey rapper um here she's got the southern thing down i think uh, yeah she's she's a fantastic actress as erica mentioned and uh yeah i hope she does more um roles along the lines of like bird box and unbelievable um i just hope she doesn't get uh typecast into these types of roles um would be my my personal wish. It's got a whole lot of Dolly Parton. I'm not a big uh, Dolly Parton fan. <laughs> I um, love Dolly Parton. Whole lot of Dolly. <laughs> but I do, I do feel like the explanation of what Dolly um, represents to um, you know a lot of women and the LGBT community. Um, I, I get all of that, and actually, I, I got it reinforced even more in this movie. So. I, you're um, getting to what you're. I think you're getting to what bothers me about the movie. Uh, and, okay, and then um, my weakest part, um, I thought was Jennifer Aniston. Uh, uh, agreed. 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 The, she, yeah, I thought she was the weakest role, and and I love that she produced this, and I respect that she her acting was too on brand, and so the parts where there was supposed to be central conflict between um, her mom not wanting her to enter the, the pageant. Um, I thought none of that played because Jennifer Aniston's like smirking through the performance instead of being, you know, playing like the foil um, for her daughter, which I, I thought that really like weakened a lot of that conflict. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I thought it did a good job of portraying uh, like the social challenges and the mental hangups for big girls in society. And it had a sweet, positive message overall. I just felt like um, the drama just fell flat for me. Couldn't agree with you more, sir. <laughs> However, I think I started watching this a couple of months ago, and I was like, I turned it off. So really, I would have never finished watching this had you not chosen it. And overall, I thought it was a really good movie. Of course, technically, there were some spots, and I know you guys probably noticed them, where they jumped from scene to scene, and they're like, all right, they definitely, that was a pickup shot, and that was a ADR recording of uh, some quick line they had to do. But I thought, overall, it was interesting, and I'm not a big Dolly Parton fan either, um, uh, but I better respect for it. And, of course, Kathy and Jimmy's in it. She plays the mother of Millie, which was cool. And then I thought, and, of course, you have to have seen The Hangover, to appreciate Eugene Reed character, who is the host of the uh, the pageant. And I listened to it, and I'm uh, just the last thing here, but I listened to it with headsets on. And if you listen to it clearly, you can hear the guy basically do his lollipop shop uh, routine from the hangover. <laughs> and it is just hysterical, you know. So there was some very Michael? funny moments in it. Uh, Dan Dan, yes, yes. Yeah, Dan. So, Michael. Finerity or whatever is Finerty stole the show, and so did uh, that Maddie Balea. There's not much to add there. It's a personal anecdote. I've met Dan before. Uh, funny, funny guy and stuff like that. And uh, yes, I. I've also I, met him before. You have. That's right. Yes, yes, you have met Dan as well. Yes, and. Uh, uh, well, I, let's I just back up a little bit. Really I said to Mike today, 
Or I said to Mike before, hey, I picked Dumplin'. That's my movie I picked. And he finally revealed to me last night, oh, yeah, I've seen it. What? You've seen this already? Like, how have you seen this movie? It's because Mike's roommate is one of the bandmates of Dan, the MC, Eugene Reed. I was very surprised that Mike had seen this movie before me. That's just one of the moments in our marriage where I'm like, wait a second. I picked a movie and you've seen it? You've seen a movie called Dumplin' with Jennifer Aniston in it? How is that even possible? So I, I recommend it. I thought it was good. Good, good. So I get to my issue with the movie. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to get to my issue with the movie. And I, oh, it's boy. like, there's nothing wrong with it. It, it does a nice job. And the, like the, the messages are all, um, you know, it's positive. And particularly nowadays where there's nothing wrong with something that's a little bit popcorn and not, you know, sort of taking itself so seriously and stuff like that. So I applaud the movie and, and the performances, actually. I don't even think Jennifer Aniston. I agree with John on some level. She does like, she stays on brand for who she is as an actress. But, like, you're watching this movie probably if you're a Jennifer Aniston fan as well. My issue with the movie, and you see this all the time, and it's just, like, it's sort of the, the character sort of explaining how they're feeling type of thing. Allow, instead of allowing, like, a moment uh, to breathe or pause or anything like that. Which, on some level, this is probably going to lead us into uh, one of the things that they talk about in uh, Odyssey. But it's just, like, there's a lot of explanation of how... I feel at this moment or how you feel at this moment. And it just, sometimes I watch, when I see that in movies, it makes me cringe. It drives me crazy. See, I think that if you're a young woman or man or gender neutral person and you're watching this movie, it is so uplifting and so empowering and so heartwarming and affirming. I don't mind that. It's okay sometimes to kind of lay it out. Let me explain to you. You know, sometimes in film, yes, the subtlety, you can communicate so much with a look or a light or whatever. And yes, we all went to film school. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I think it's okay to be explicit sometimes. I mean, this whole movie is very, very much like I'm an overweight girl. I get uh, made fun of at school. I have a tough relationship with my mom because she puts so much emphasis on beauty and body and I don't meet that expectation. And I lost my number one uh, confidant and idol in this world who was just like me. She affirmed me and how she goes and she finds it. But it's, it, it is, it's all right there. But it's okay because I put myself in the shoes of like... It it an 11, 12-year-old girl, or, yeah, you know, like I said, anybody. It. I put myself in the shoes of a younger person watching this movie, and how good it feels in this, I hate to say in this day and age, but I love how movies like this, the feel-good movies, are about, like, yes, you're accepted. Everyone loves who you are, you know? You may be a gender-neutral person. You may be an overweight person. You are still just as loved, just as valid. To me, I, I cried multiple times while watching this. I cried at the beginning, in the middle, and the end. I cried as soon as she started talking about her aunt and said that she lost her. 
oh my gosh. And here I am. And, and I respect that. And this is the beautiful thing about films and movies and stuff like that is the opposite perspective. I see those moments and stuff like that. And maybe one or two of them in a film. But and to me, it becomes pandering and not trusting that the audience will have the emotional intelligence to understand what the characters are going through or what they are feeling in that moment. And it's just like, it, it's, it's, it's aiming low on some level. And I, the, I guess I, I get a little critical of this movie because I actually think that there, I think it, this movie could have come with a, a much bigger wallop uh, because it was, there is, there like from a, from a plot standpoint, there really is a story there. Jesse, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it knows its audience and um, yeah, it leans on the voiceover a little too much for my personal taste. But like Erica said, it's a, it's a feel good. It's an uplifting movie. And I think it totally works for, for what it's doing, for sure. What yeah. did Jesse think? I don't have a ton to add. You guys have all made such good points. I, I do agree. It's, um, it definitely achieved what it set out to do. And I agree, I agree with, with Erica. Erica. Like, it's a, it's it's a, a feel-good feel movie. And I think for its audience, they probably get so much out of it. And that's special for them. I really loved the family dynamic because... Uh, more i think more than the the body weight and the gender and everything the the dysfunction in the family that was resolved seemed to me to be like the underlying theme and i i was happy with the way it resolved i loved the dynamic between the aunt and willoughby even though she wasn't uh in a lot of the movie they they kept coming back to it and it was all very pleasant um but i i see what you're saying mike about the not low-hanging fruit, but... Yeah. It, it's laying it all out pretty easily. And I just don't think... And again, I don't want to, like... This this movie deserves an audience. It's like, I don't want to be, like, down on it necessarily. But it's just, like, there are aspects to it that it's just, like, this is... It, it, it's trying to it's trying to make it very simple for the audience. And sometimes it's okay. But it's, just like, I'm not going to call it great I simple. did think that a little bit about the subplots, which I think I think they those kind of got put on the back burner at the end and then they were never resolved. Like um, Bex's character was like there to overthrow it and then ended up dropping that. And then um, the best friend that was, that entered, like she was there and uh, was in the pageant and they never really talked about what, what that experience meant for her. So I don't know, just dropped the ball on that a little bit. I felt. Yeah, Jesse, I agree with you. A couple tweaks away from like, knocking it out i think For and sure. man it was like so set up to have like a dolly parton like a real walk-on cameo i was a little disappointed <laughs> that yeah, dolly didn't show up i thought she was yeah, like, right. in the drag show or something i actually thought dolly parton was one of the people on stage no and the one did really look like her too yeah <laughs> well so it sounds like everybody recommends it for sure right like it's yeah. not, yes. not a skip feel good movie it's a feel it's good not movie a skip. It's it, a feel it's good. Not a, it's not a skip. It's not a skip. It's I didn't love skip. it. But, and some people are going to love this movie, but it's like, it's not a skip. I think that if you want to feel good in a sea of lots of great content out there, some of it being very challenging, some of it being uh, intellectually overloading, this is a wonderful way to spend two hours of your day in quarantine. Enjoy it. It's a good movie for now. It's a good movie for right now. Well, so should we get into the series? Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. So this one for sure has a different audience. 
I would say. I, I mean, I'm curious to find out from you guys if you feel it's accessible. So the reason I picked it and the reason I recommend um, the story of film, An Odyssey, which came out in 2011, and it's on Hulu and YouTube TV right now. Uh, it's in 15 parts, 15 hour long parts. My hope was that basically when you watch it, you want to track down a number of these films and filmmakers uh, that are mentioned. At least this is the effect it had on me. It really introduced me to a whole handful of people probably in each episode that either I haven't paid enough attention to and should or um, hadn't heard of at all. And the approach it takes that I like is it kind of sets up in the beginning with episode one, basically saying um, that we all think we know everything about the story of film. But as with many things, you know, history is, is written by those in power and kind of skewed American uh, especially for us here, you know, and how, how those people frame it, and that there's much more to the story. Um, and so for me, Mark Cousins, who uh, he made this, he narrates it, uh, he kind of goes on these tangents and down like side roads of cinema. And he does cover, you know, like the American Hollywood system, for sure, in these first three episodes a lot. Um, but he really purposefully contrast them with what else is going on in the world at the time in the early days of cinema and how those facets combined with mainstream really kind of took us to the place that we are now in cinema with experimenting and new technologies and techniques and stuff like that. So um, I first heard of Mark Cousins and I'm sure if you guys, I, I wonder if you guys have, if you haven't um, and you kind of like what he's doing here. He has some really good deep dive conversations, um, just interviews with filmmakers, a lot of ones that um, I admire in modern cinema that you can find on YouTube. And I think they're also really enlightening and educational about the whole experience of creating a film. Um, but anyways, he, in, in these first three episodes, he basically goes um, from the birth of cinema to then setting up the Hollywood uh, studio system in the 20s and 30s and then in the third episode goes and shows you what's going on elsewhere in the world during that same period the 20s and 30s and I guess with because it's a, it covers a lot in three hours um, maybe I'll just jump out now and see what your guys impressions are and uh, then maybe we can get into some of the, the people that are covered and the films that are covered and what you think well, I'm really biased because I'm a filmmaker, so I was eating all of this up. I loved the the way he narrates in that slow Irish voice. It really felt like this film school crash course. I could listen to him do anything. I, I was listening <laughs> for a while and I'm like, my God, the cadence of his voice is so calming. The wrong narrator for this for this series could really make it challenging, but he makes it so enjoyable. The pacing so too, relaxed. because it's very pacing. Yes. Slow paced. And so yes. you're able to absorb uh, all the video you're watching. But I, my creative juices were flowing as I was watching it. Uh, I just, I love seeing what some of the first, you know, the first types of shots were and 
especially like in the first episode, he started to speak on uh, early filmmakers who were thinking outside of the box during their time and ended up changing the whole landscape with new techniques. And it made me think about in our world where everything is so is so out there and everyone thinks they know the best way to make cinematic art like how can we push the envelope even further so i'm going to be watching the full series oh me too listening to his voice is like listening to uh was it Werner herzog you know i could listen to that guy all day long i mean just like yeah it was i awesome. love Werner herzog <laughs> yeah i mean he, he probably could have narrated this too but it, that's what his voice reminded me of and so like yeah and i've seen this before i absolutely just adore this series I think it's like, John, you said this is like getting your little ma uh, master's in film, like going to film school, because this guy explains in 15 hours what I spent $80,000 on and, you know, four <laughs> years of my life trying to understand. Yep. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I, and he goes into even more depth than my film school went into. I mean, the fact everything that you don't know about film and basically how one-sided and how prejudiced and how, like, you know, like they say, the the winners write the the history. Um, but uh, just so much creativity out there throughout the years. And this is what I also would tell students when I uh, would say, you know what, go find something and emulate it. You know, find something you like and rip it off, because that is what all the best do. I mean, if you saw this, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you're looking at bubbles in your coffee or bubbles in your your uh, water, mm -hmm. or, you know, yeah. uh, or if yeah. you're looking at eyeballs, you know, or it's just the influence of Salvador Dali and all sorts of art and, and movements. And uh, I mean, just absolutely fabulous, you know, absolutely fabulous stuff. I can't recommend this more. Yeah, I think uh, during this time of quarantine and stuff like that, if you consider yourself a movie fan and you like, and there's people out there and I've heard like who do have a passion for it, but not, not necessarily uh, the context and the exposition of like where film came from. This is something that it's, it's a must watch without, Stu said, without having to go through four years of film school. As, as me and Erica were, or Erica and I were watching this, I was able to, it was hilarious because I kind of knew the points that he was going to go and how he was going to connect it. I was like, oh, I know where he's going next. I know where he's going next. And, but he condenses it and he streamlines it in such a wonderful, succinct fashion. And, uh, that it, even it, Erica could understand it. That even <laughs> Erica could understand it. And there is that ASMR sort of quality to his voice that once yes. you get into it, that it's, 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 it's very, it's very easy watching. And, he does an excellent job, as you were saying, John, going off on those tangents, but really showing also how those tangents end up coming back to the main river, if you will, and mm -hmm. getting into the psyche of film overall. There is no wasted reps in the first three episodes of this. It's, it's pretty remarkable. One of the things that struck me last night when we were watching the last, the third episode, and I was thinking, because I had said to Mike, like, well, you know, isn't it, didn't we already watch the thing about the 20s? It's like, no, like the 20s and early 30s was such a golden age. I'm specifically speaking of this, this time frame of the 20s and early 30s at how experimental and incredible it was. Are we really like doing that kind of really cool experimental filmmaking now? And this is where me as more of a plebeian when it comes to films, I know it's surprising as the as the head of the film society, but 
I feel like what I saw in watching three episodes of this of this film school, I saw so much that it was like, wow, this must have blown people's minds because it kind of blows my mind. I mean, what they're doing with light and what the actors are doing and sound and visual. I mean, I just feel I think, like movies think, now are just not the same. Like the kind of experimentation and growth that happened in the 20s, I see why people call it the golden age. It really, it really blew my mind. And it made me, to, it made to, me to, hungry for more, a more interesting film, uh, film scene out there. To interject uh, there a little bit, I, and I, to piggyback off of what you're saying, I think more than anything else, and again, it's, this was before sound came in, but it was the psychology of the visual image to me that like, that's one of the things that sort of dawned on me as watching this. It's just like, right, we don't necessarily use film in the same psycho like psychological way anymore uh, because we rely a lot of times on actors and dialogue to sort of convey those, those motifs. Yeah, I think... Um, Wait, two oh. things here. There's an yep. upcoming episode. They start talking about why the whole rating system was put in place. And Hollywood was just like uh, loaded with lots of sex. And that's why they ended up putting the rating system in place. So that's one to watch uh, upcoming. And then the whole arrival of sound, which you'll see at the end of the third episode, was uh, a bit of, uh, how, how, how would you put that? It was like a... Uh, it's a watershed moment. It is, but almost in a way that sound... The picture was sacrificed. Cinematography was sacrificed for the uh, for this new found thing of sound in picture. You know what I mean? Well, you have to think of like the genius of like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, and how they kind of had uncapped imagination, right? And then sound just kind of changed changed the the whole landscape at that point. You know, they were really perfecting the art form without sound. And then that shakeup was huge. I mean, you guys have kind of touched on this. I, I think that one thing for sure that you get across in with Mark Cousins is that, um, you know, the factory that Hollywood became. Um, yeah. Kind of the, a dictatorship in which the artist is silenced. Um, it really does make, um, you know, the Hollywood industry. Like, you know, look look pretty pretty bad as far as like um, kind of stifling creativity, and that's why um, I think Erica. I mean, I know you say that you know you're you're kind of the novice, but totally not true at all. You've seen so many great great films. I think when you get through all of this, you'll probably understand um, you know why I try and squeeze in as many independent and foreign language and, you know, documentary films into our programs because as you see in the series, you know, there's so much of the story that, that people miss if they're just following, you know, the big studio releases. Yes, studio money-driven uh, uh, yeah. productions. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, and John, you realize I say these things because I'm married to Mike Berlin. I'm, I'm married to, you know, someone who has all the answers about all of these things. But I do understand the choices that you make. I appreciate them. And truly, over the past, well, let's see, it's 2020. Over the past, you know, almost 10 years, like my um, exposure to documentary and foreign language and independent films has purely been because of Film Theory Art Museum 
and 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 film grain. But honestly, Film and Theory Art Museum was was where we were showing a lot um, of the things that maybe were a little, um, you know, not as mainstream, <laughs> not as profit making, if you will. But uh, I I really appreciate the fact that you chose this, John, because it is giving me the opportunity to learn a lot. Some of it I knew, most of it I had no clue. And I think it's giving me an opportunity to see, see filmmaking in a whole new light. And I like, I like seeing what's happened, you know, in China and Japan and other countries. And what was it? It was um, in Sudan, right? Drakkar, Sudan. And who knew? All over the place. Who knew? You know, but I didn't know, you know, like I, I, I didn't know these things. So I'm learning a lot through this series. I'm really excited to continue watching it. I don't worry. When am I going to find the time to watch it? I don't have that anymore. I, <laughs> I know I'll be able to find the time. <laughs> yeah, anything... get back to the whole, whole Hollywood studio process. The one individual was talking about his movie and that he shot nine different endings just to satisfy the studio and the audience testings to make sure that they had a Hollywood ending. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that would be so frustrating as an artist, mm -hmm. you know, and they had to have Hollywood endings and that's where the whole term came from. Yeah. yeah. There was innovation of course, across the globe and, you know, things as simple as a cut, right? It's just when you, when you look at things um, at the origin for film and you think a cut was a big deal, you know, <laughs> and different angles. Right, right, yeah. Movie. It was that simple. Yeah, let's zoom um, in on the cat, why don't we? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> An excellent follow-up if you guys haven't seen this and it was done like way back in the night, way back. Uh, but back in the 90s uh, was uh, Scorsese did something and I forget exactly who it was uh, with uh, but it's called A Personal Journey and he just sort of and it's a, it follows a lot of the same sort of themes a little bit but he really gets a little bit more into uh, the film theory aspect of it and some of the films that sort of uh, influenced him and it will if you haven't seen it and if you've already watched the Odyssey it's a night it would be like a nice companion piece to go along with it and, uh, it right. is you can find it um, on YouTube split up Mike and uh, yeah Scorsese is another you know completely fully immersed knowledgeable speaker of, of film history for sure that's a that's a good one to me i always tell whenever i get a chance i tell filmmakers and young filmmakers that they should definitely watch this but um do you agree that i i think everyone can find merit in yes in this information yes. story viewing required viewing yeah yep absolutely two thumbs up wow so John, so, so John, yes. because of Mark Cousins and his wonderful accent and the way he speaks, this is the kind of thing that I will watch all of the episodes, completely digest them, and in the future, I will put them on when I want something to take a nap to because the <laughs> sound of his voice will absolutely lull me into a sense of peace. And understanding. Well, well, at least your dreams will be quality cinema. There you go. <laughs> but just like also, guys, look up his, uh, just his interviews and conversations with like David Lynch and Scorsese. Um, you can find them on YouTube. They're, they're really good. Very good long form 
discussions. Excellent. All right. So do we want to jump into our, our pitches for next week's episode? Yes. Go ahead, sir. You can go first. Okay. I get to go again. So um, as Erica knows, I've wanted to program for probably, it's probably almost been a year now, um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, and uh, it just dropped on Hulu, which is really exciting because I got to watch it again and I can't wait for you guys to see it. Um, so this is a new film. It should have been um, France's submission uh, to the Academy Awards, but um, they submitted uh, Les Miserables instead. Uh, it's another film from Neon, who uh, Parasite won for Best Picture, so they had a very good year of great cinema. This is from uh, French writer-director Celine Siama, and we showed her film Girlhood at Film at the Erie Art Museum in 2015, a movie that I really, really like a lot. Um, this takes place in France in the 1700s, and basically a young painter, a portrait artist, is hired by a family. Um, it's, you know, a situation that you've seen many times before in movies. It's an arranged marriage, and the young woman is not happy uh, with being married off. And as a wedding gift, oftentimes portraits are painted um, of the bride-to-be for as a gift for the husband. And this particular um, young woman, Heloise, who's going to be married off, she uh, does not want her picture to be painted, and she's um, already exhausted a previous painter um, by not sitting still and allowing him to do the portrait, and so he quits. And so um, a woman is, a young woman is hired as her walking companion. Um, and she is just supposed to socialize with her as far as Heloise knows and, um, you know, give her company in her last days of freedom, if you will. But what uh, her walking companion is actually doing is painting her in secret, which you can imagine is quite a challenge, or I would imagine would be quite a challenge just out on walks to have to have the uh, mental memory to then run back into your room at night and paint this person um, just from going out on walks. So this is a LGBT star star movie of last year. Uh, it has a like a 98 or a 99 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I think the only negative review it got was from the Christian Science Monitor, and <laughs> decide why they may have not liked the film favorably. But it's really, you know, you see if you take like a Brian De Palma film, or actually so many movies, you will see the male gaze, quote unquote, um, very easily in so far as how the camera is placed on, you know, females in movies. And this movie for sure um, gives a counter to that, uh, the female gaze. And it is really like, it's amazing. It's so well acted, it's beautifully shot. Uh, the women have great chemistry and you just want these two ladies to get together and they just keep 
building it up and building it up. And Erica, a lot to what you talked about with um, Dumplin' as far as, you know, womanhood and uh, women being there for each other and supporting each other. You get this in this film as well. And it's just a fantastic romance. You're so eloquent when you- I'm so excited. (laughs) So that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire and it's on Hulu. I'm in, can't wait. That does sound good. Okay, and then I had the uh, uh, choice of an episode this week, and I couldn't choose between three. So I'm not going to recommend three, but I am going to tell people that there's a new season of Ozark coming out, and uh, I highly recommend watching that. And there's also a new season of The Last Kingdom coming out, which is coming out in about a month. But the one that I recommend for this week that I want you to watch the first three episodes is called The Spy. It's an Israeli espionage miniseries on Netflix. Uh, It was written and directed by Israeli director Gideon Raff, who, uh, if you have seen the Red Sea Diving Resort, it starred uh, Captain America. I forget his name. Uh, And uh, Jesse, who plays Captain America? Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. He was in the Red Sea Diving Resort. But in this one, this is uh, starring Sasha Baron Cohen, which... Nice. I didn't know what to expect with this. I know everyone hears Sasha Baron Cohen, you're thinking, oh, here comes Barat or, uh, you know, or, you know, one of his wacky characters. Um, but it's based on the life of an Israeli top Mossad agent, uh, Eli Cohen. No relationship from what I found out. It was produced by Canal and uh, Netflix. It's a six episode miniseries. It was released back in September of 2019. Like I said, it's on Netflix. It's in, it's a little intense. I thought, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a, standard espionage movie i got a little bit of gruff i uh, heard from not exactly being historically correct but it takes place during the years leading into the 1967 six-day war between israel and syria um you know i don't know much history about the middle east uh so it was kind of cool to see this uh different story being told and basically it follows uh the spy cohen as he passed in egypt as an army reject and then basically he uh, infiltrates the Syrian Ministry of Defense. Um, so his army rejects him initially uh, for various reasons, which I'm not going to discuss. But then he ends up being taken in because he's really passionate about working for the government. And so he assumes the identity and basically rises in this Syrian high society and basically befriends the president and becomes the deputy defense minister. Um, and, you know, it has its ups and downs and I'm not going to tell you the ending but i thought it was a really good espionage movie um i think you'll enjoy it it's six episodes and that is my choice this week uh streaming on netflix nice i needed espionage thriller yes me too that's been our episode check out portrait of a lady on fire on hulu and the spy on netflix and let us know what you think in the discussion thread on Facebook. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain.